everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Sacramento Kings said, oh, your little winning streak, Pelicans, all this momentum you feel like you have as you come down the stretch, well, we think that is absolutely adorable. We're going to punch you in the mouth, and you're going to have nothing to say about it. Sacktown comes into the big blender. And says, "Yeah, you're not quite ready for us. 121 to 103. Victory for the Kings over the Pelicans. And now we got three games left. Memphis, New York, Minnesota. And I'm telling you this now. The way the standings look today will not be... How they will look on Friday will not be how they look after everything is said and done. We could see the Pelicans jump up, jump down, jump all around in between now and then. This isn't over. It isn't over for where they're going to be placed at. And they're going to have to play better on the back-to-back And how they're going to have to finish the season. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful one. Your host, Raymond Parts III. It's Wednesday. We got a foodie poll question of the week to unveil. The producer extraordinaire joins me here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. You know him as D'Lo. You know him as a man who has forced you to go buy a thesaurus to look up the words that he uses on the air. It's Dawson Iserlow. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I am tremendous. Tremendous. How do you feel about that Pell's performance last night at home in the old big blender as Sacktown came in and said, mm, not so much. I'm just ready for Zion. We got to get the update today, right? What? Allegedly. Here's the th- why are they so? <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. No, it's just why why do the why do the updates never happen? It's like they try to like wait till you're not paying attention and then go, hey, release the update now, and everybody's like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, Zion's out forever. Just don't <laughs> ask us. But like they say two weeks, but then it's you know they'll release it on a Monday afternoon one time, and then the next time two weeks it's like a Thursday, or it's never really two weeks no it's always like these 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 not so my point is like if if he's got a doctor's appointment or you know however they're doing why can't they say hey you're gonna hear from us on wednesday like this that's when our next update is they're just like we'll tell you when when we tell you and then they just go yeah he's out and like i i just want to know when it's happening so i can mentally prepare myself for disappointment i do a lot better when i mentally prepare myself to be disappointed than when it gets sneaks up on me you know what i mean but he's doing three on three drills 
Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah, the NBA's five on five the last time I checked. But, <laughs> yeah, that is good. That's encouraging. It, 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 here's the thing. Even if they said on Friday, Dawson, that Zion is been cleared to come back and that he can come back in the regular season finale and for whatever they do in the playoffs, play in tournament or whatever it might be, because it looks like it's going to be playing tournament. The Lakers just keep winning. Here's the deal. He's not going to give you 30 minutes. That's fine, though. I, I think you just need the mental boost f- for the other guys as well as what he can give you. Plus, he's he's not Brandon Ingram in that he's not a guy who's got to get up 15, 20 shots and get his rhythm back, which is what we saw with B.I. So, you know, yeah, look, he, is he going to come back? There is going to be some rust. And, right. Is he going to come back in midseason form? No, but I don't think you need that. I think, one, you just need him out there for the entire group to just feel like, okay, our guy's back. I think that's more important than even what he gives you. Just because it feels like, and, and again, this team has now shown in the last, now they didn't look good against Sacramento last night, but they have shown that they're capable without him. So if you get him back in just some capacity, I think that gave you, like just tonight, today rather, if you get the update that says, hey, Zion's playing, or Zion's cleared to play, whether he's playing, you know, whatever game he plays, then that I feel like that galvanizes the group to say, hey, here comes our guy. Let's make this real last push. Let's get it going. We've got a real shot here. Whereas if they come back with the update and say, Zion's progressing, but we're going to shut him down for the rest of the year, I, I feel like the team just goes, man, they're, they're kind of win our chances, you know. And, and, I, and, you know, they wouldn't actually say that, of course, but that's how I feel, you know, it's just tough. They've just been waiting on him for so long. But, you know, we'll see how it looks. Now, now you're getting to the point where we should – potentially start seeing some games that uh, don't mean quite as much to the opposition as they do to the Pelicans. I think last night was maybe the last time you're going to see a team at full strength. We will see. I don't know that for sure, but except I, I wonder about Minnesota. Memphis, though, because... Well, uh, Sacramento's kind of uh, creeping around there. Right. So Sacramento wins last night, obviously, and they're only two games behind the Grizzlies for the number two seat. So... There's still three games to go, so technically Memphis still has an opportunity to be the two seed here. and They technically have a chance to be the one seed as well. Right, and yeah. Jaw missed time. So I, I, I know we would like to say, okay, well, Memphis is just going to shut it down. Well, I can guarantee you the opponent on Friday is not shutting it down because that's not how Tom Thibodeau's built. Yeah, to, to, to his own but fault. To no, his own I, fault. So, I know, but there might be some front office guys that go down and say, Tom, we love you, but here's how it's going to go. You know what I mean? That, that's not how Tom's built. I know it's not how he's built, but sometimes in these situations, the front office has more power than the head coach. And I don't know how the New York Knicks you know, is, are structured in that regard, but sometimes this might be a situation where Tom goes, yeah, everybody's playing, we're ready to roll, and the front office goes, Tom, listen, they're not playing, okay? So I, But you're right. If it's up to him, they probably are going to play, so we'll have to see, and that's – look. At this point in the season, you're not going to get handouts uh, the way you, you've been getting at certain points with some of the weaker teams. So, And the other thing is that we've seen the Pelicans struggle against teams even without their star players. Right, but not in the last couple of weeks. They've looked pretty I, pretty dominant I, against those teams. Look, and that's, I'm not trying to tell you to not drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, I'm not drinking it at I all. Just, I just, there's a lot of optimism about a team being in the playing tournament. There's a reason why they're in this position because they're battling just to stay into the play-in tournament. 
is because if we're having an honest conversation, they're an average team. I think they're above average. They got more wins than losses. It's close, and but they're that's 40 the thing. And 39, there's razor thin. Dawson. There's they're razor thin margins across the Western Conference, and they haven't had their group. So that's why I'm saying when they're healthy, they're above average by a good margin. They just aren't, and they they probably never will be. So it's okay to to. I, I I'm no not no. My, with my you. point is no because we look at. And Pelicans fans will sit there and tell you that the Lakers team is garbage and that's average and that Minnesota's average, yet you're below the Lakers in the standings. So if the team above you is average and been playing somewhat bad basketball and the team right below you is average, well, guess what? If you're in the middle of those teams, you're average too. I understand Zion hasn't been there, but Zion hasn't been there. That's the reality, and the reality is that overall this team is an average team that's struggling that's fighting tooth and nail to be into the play-in tournament. Let's not pretend like they're the Milwaukee Bucks here. Because they're not. They're just not. So to, no, to just... sit there and say, well, yeah, they've been playing better. That's right. They have been playing better. They've played better in stretches during this season, too. So I just, it's not gimmies here. That, that That's my no, point. No, it's is, not. We saw that last night, right? But Correct. my point here would be, I, I'm not, and I again, we're kind of like, there's no reason to get back into this argument right now because we will have plenty of time. But when fully healthy, which I understand that's not really the reality of the situation, but when fully healthy, they're much closer to Sacramento or Memphis's record than their current record, in my opinion. And we saw that when they were healthy. They're not, so that's okay. But some of those teams haven't had nearly the injury mishaps that they've had and are in you know different situations but Warriors missed Wiggins for a considerable amount of time and he's a key piece on that team right but the Warriors and the Warriors are they the Warriors aren't even the team I'm referring to because they messed around the whole time last night I I followed that game throughout it and I went to sleep the Warriors were down by I think seven to Oklahoma City and I said they're gonna win this game comfortably and I woke up and they won that game comfortably and so that's who they are so I don't even but I think the Lakers have been a lot healthier than the Pelicans have. They missed LeBron for a decent stretch, but I don't know. It is it is what it is. It's okay. We don't have to keep talking about it. Well, no. no. We're, we're having a discussion. <laughs> I get it. Injuries are part of the thing, but every team deals with injuries. Yes, except Sacramento. Gosh, that team. So, I, I, I get it, but we keep... We keep moving the goalpost on the conversation about the Pels, and we've been doing this for years. Well, if this. Well, if they only had this. Well, if this. this. And and it, I'm, I'm to the point, and once again, I'm not a Pels fan, but we have to get to the point where we stop making excuses and just start addressing the fact that the team is a slightly above average well, basketball no, I'm, team. I'm with you, but that's – if we had seen them play together for 30 games with the core and go 15 and 15, you could accept it and go, yeah, that's it. But we haven't seen that. Every time they've actually been healthy with this group, they've been really good. So but that's why it's frustrating. You haven't had a large sample size. Well, I, that's, and that's, and that's, that, that's exactly that's, what I'm saying. It's just not so you. Because your sample size is minuscule. Your sample size is I a dozen that. games. That's not enough data to prove that if you projected that out for three months that they would be a great team. well that's why i'm saying it's it's unfortunate that you you can't make it you can't decipher one way or the other is my point and that's what's so unfortunate about it but 
we'll see. We'll see if this does get put together. I don't know if it's going to matter this year. But the other thing, too, is that, yeah, last night was a big opportunity. And, and, and the Lakers absolutely battled with the Jazz, who were missing four of their five starters, I think. And you had, you'd had a chance. Woof. So that's a missed opportunity now. And it, it's looking, you know, outside of a... It's tough, too, because the Clippers play the Lakers tonight. So one of them's going to lose, but one of them's going to win. And so you're still going to be a full game behind one of them. And it doesn't look like Golden State's going to lose anytime soon. So One of the L.A. teams is going to get the sixth seed. The whole thing for the Pelicans in the last three games is to position themselves not to be the 9-10. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest deal. I think Oklahoma City is going to be your 10. So it's really a battle between the Lakers, whoever loses... Whoever loses tonight's Battle of L.A., Pelicans and Timberwolves, to figure out in those last three games who's going to be the eight, the the, the seven and the eight, because yeah. that's what you want to be at, right? That's where you want to be. You don't want to have to go all the way down and be the nine team. Like, you just don't want that. No, that's a big deal, too, because that's not only – that's an entire extra game. So, a reminder, the horrific playing tournament is formatted like this. <laughs> Go ahead and start. Go ahead. Seven, eight, nine, and ten are your four teams in it. Seven will play eight, and the winner of that is in and done with and is the seven seed. So if you're the eight or the seven, you get a chance there. Nine will you then play ten. You automatically punch your ticket. Right. You go on to play the number two seed. Yes. Is how that works. Nine's then going to play ten, and the higher seed hosts each of these games, by the way. Nine's then going to be play ten, and the winner of that is going to play the loser of seven and eight. The loser of the nine, ten game is done. So the difference between eight and nine is enormous because it's an entire extra game. If you lose the yes. first game, you get a second chance. If you win the first game, you're already in. Uh, not to mention, if you're the seven eight, you would then host that second game if it happened. Now, the the biggest advantage to being seven, or the only advantage to being seven versus eight, is you would host the seven eight game. So correct. And we've seen how bad the Pelicans are away from the Smoothie King Center and how good at times they've been, but also sometimes not great, like last night. So that would matter though, and. I think that's your 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 new goal, which, hey, this is progress, right? The goal a couple weeks ago was just somehow find a way to get in. Now your goal is, okay, we're in. Let's avoid the 9-10 matchup. So. Which I know people may be resting. Depending on how things fall, the regular season finale at Minnesota is going to determine, could determine who's going to be the 8 and who's going to be the 9. No, and you, and you, the more you look at it, you're right. That and that's going to be huge for both of those teams, right? Because both of those teams are trying to build something. The chances of getting a team that's resting now is is pretty small, actually, because like we said, Memphis. You know, I'll have to check and see if they've announced anything, but they have something to play for, presumably, if they want to. But the Pelicans always always play so well against. Oh yeah, but I don't. The Grizz, right? I mean, just right. It, they they since have Zion and Jaw were taken yeah. one two. It's been one of these things where the Pelicans kind of own the Grizzlies, which is way, an odd thing. They right? had, yeah, they had a couple of stretches where they. It's funny that it feels like whoever's there's big winning streaks in that series. A team yes. will win a few games yes. in a row, and the other way around. But like you said, so that's tonight, and then <clears> Friday the Knicks. Now the Knicks presumably have all the reason in the world to rest. Does their head coach try to overrule that? We'll see. And then Minnesota's not going to be resting because they're probably going to have just as much play for as you are. So you're. It looked like you know last week we sat there and said, well, maybe Memphis isn't going to have much. Maybe Sacramento. Maybe that's already going to be settled. Unfortunately, it wasn't settled, and that meant that both of them had something to play for. Because if it had been settled, neither one of them would have cared, right? But now they both cared. 
So you end up getting two. But like we said, they're home games against teams that are good, not great. You need to win those games anyway. So far, they haven't passed that test. We'll see if they get it done tonight. It's we'll going to be interesting. Maybe it's Zion can play four on four. Maybe they maybe they'll make it a rule amendment <laughs> that the Pelicans can play three on three tonight in tonight's game against Memphis, so that Zion can play. What do you think? Just a one game only, guys. Let's get our guy out there. My my, my biggest thing with the Pels, and I don't trust Griffin on what he says about Zion, because I, I always feel like we're getting misinformation. And my worry is that we're getting these reports. Oh, you know, he may do this and, and he may do this. But in reality, they have no intention whatsoever of having Zion play this year. Because he is their biggest asset. And I, I just don't trust Griff in that regard. I trust Zion saying, I want to play. I trust that all day long. I trust Willie Green saying, Zion wants to play. And we, I, I trust the players. I trust the coach. I don't trust Griff. I I get regard. that, but also I just don't. so if it's now the other thing that's difficult and we aren't necessarily going to know is whether it's a battle of the Zion's medical staff, which I think there's kind of a bit of a difference between the two, there right? Is. There there's some people that he's been seeking mm-hmm. help from. It sounds like from everything we've heard versus the Pelicans medical staff versus the Pelicans front office, and we don't know who's necessarily controlling these calls, but. My thing is if it's if it is from the Pelicans front office perspective, I understand protecting him for so long, but like at this point, it's to the point where what are you protecting him for? It's time to go. You know, he's been here this many years and you're still in this situation. So if he's available and, and the doctors say, Yeah, he doesn't have a tremendous you know, he doesn't have a any amplified risk of re injuring it or anything like that. Uh look, if he if he tweaks it again, you got the whole offseason anyway. Now I'm not saying that you should do it if that's if the doctors say Look, this thing's really gonna got a great chance of being tweaked again. Then okay, you maybe you sit him down. But as long as everything's okay to play, like let's play. It's time. It's it's not. He's not a let's rookie. Go. He's not a second year guy. That, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. But I do think there's a difference between what Zion wants and what Griff allows him to have. That's just I I don't have any sources that tell me that. I just you get the feeling that there's somewhat of a disconnect there. So. We'll see about these Pelicans. Will they be Pelicans or will they be Pelicans? We'll find out. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll unveil the foodie poll question of the week, which is a special Easter holiday edition. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Hey, Joel Embiid's out there dropping 52 points as the face of the franchise of the Philadelphia 76ers, making his case to be an MVP candidate, taking down the Celtics, trying to improve their standing in the East. What do you think his favorite candy is? (laughs) Embiid's got to be the MVP, right? It would seem that way, especially with the time Jokic has missed, which, I mean, hasn't been significant, but has been... 
you know, maybe like if you had to have a tiebreaker, the the recency bias of Jokic missing a few games might impact that. I don't know, but I think also you get voter. Um, what do they call it? Fatigue. Yeah, there you go. That's the word. I was like, see, you talk about me with the, the source. You had that ready to go. Oh, voter fatigue. There's certainly. Um, so I think she- some voters are probably just sick of voting, which is like the, the you know LeBron could have probably won it four or five years in a row early on in his career, but there was just yes MVP awards up. tend to have voter fatigue. You know, everyone's like, oh yeah, Jokic is the guy, and then you know here we are, and he's having just as good of a season as he had in the last two years, and people are like, yeah, it's time to go in a different direction, right? It's just kind of how it feels and it feels like it's finally Embiid's to win here and and look uh, Boston is going to be a contender to come out of the east Embiid dropped 52 on them last night guy's been absolutely phenomenal so uh, he's he's turned himself into a legitimate a legitimate MVP candidate and it feels like he is going to win it. It's probably going to be a close vote, but I do believe that he's going to win the MVP unless something miraculous happens in the last few games of the season. Let's get to some comments about our leadoff topic before we unveil the poll question, shall we? Salty Steve, nine times out of ten, the play-in teams are the sacrificial lambs for the real playoffs. Congratulations, you're now punching bag. Here's your participation trophy. Well, I'll just rebuttal that by saying there haven't been enough play-in tournaments to say nine times out of ten, but I do. I mean, yeah, they're the worst teams in the playoffs for the reason, you know what I mean? JPK, the OD, says Dawson's optimism is so adorable. Bless his heart. They're just baiting us into another wait-till-next-year offseason with Zion's health to sell season tickets. How big of a sample size do we need to see that he's a walking mash unit? Cut bait and rebuild around the rest of the core. Pelicans are dead as the breakers to me right now. I don't agree with that sentiment. But I understand fans frustration with the franchise it's not frustrated with Zion in particular it they're just frustrated because they so desperately want a team to root for and want a winner in New Orleans that another season of what their star player the face of the franchise being injured yet again it we use the word fatigue they're fatigued like yeah. the fan base the fan base and the and the guys wanting to be fans are just fatigued. They're tired. They just are. I'm a little confused what I'm portraying that's being perceived as optimism because all I really said was, one, we haven't seen it enough to know it doesn't work, and two, I think he should play if he's available. That's really the only thing. I'm not saying I think they're going to win anything. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not Ollie, which <laughs> I think has a little bit more optimism than I do, you know? I'd say Ollie has a lot more optimism about the Pelicans than most people do. Yeah, bless him, but he he does. There's way too much optimism. No, you're just like, hey, you know, this team is not necessarily average because there's not a large enough sample size to make that determination. That you feel like you have optimism that they can be more than an average team. 
Right, we just haven't seen right. the entire group play and not succeed, would be my point. They were the first-place team in the West when they had everyone. So that's What are you going to do? But once again, that's, or that's, early, that's early in the season. You're right, but it was early in the season. Let me ask you this. Run it back again next year. And Zion gets hurt again, or B.I. gets hurt again. What is it going to take for you to get to the point as a fan to go, this isn't going to work? We got to blow up and just start over. Well, I try not to look at things from a fan perspective too often. I try to look at it from a different perspective. But I'm but, asking you as a because you're a Pelicans fan. I'm asking you. Yeah, as a fan. no, I, I again, I, I think if if it happens again next year and if it's looking the same way, then you have to take a long, hard look and maybe consider changing things. But again, I don't know what your options are going to be because mm-hmm. if he's hurt again, what is his value really going to be? Now, some team might take a chance on him. Thinking again the the Joe album Embiid model, but I just don't know what your what your really your choices are going to be other than kind of putting him to the side and saying if he comes back he comes back. I don't know if you're going to get a ton of trade value. Do you get rid of him just to get rid of him just to start fresh? I don't know if that's really a recipe for success. I don't know what you what you're going to be accomplishing there. So you know I yeah, but if it happens again, then then you then you probably put to bed the idea of this core group is going to get it done. And you know that something else has to happen, but they're in a bad spot. Like again, and like Foot always kind of says about New Orleans, see, like what teams really have to deal with this? What teams have this? Like where the guy play? Like even Greg Oden is kind of like somewhat of a comparison, but he didn't have these stretches where he was putting up the numbers that Zion put up when he played, right? So you have this like when he plays, it's unbelievable, but he doesn't play thing where you're kind of caught in the middle. Like at least Portland got to the point where they were able to, you know, just know it was over. But you, you don't even know it's over, right? Like, you, she's texting you back. She's just not available. You keep being teased. Yeah. like she, is, is a way of describing it. And, and you're right. It's just, it's tough, man. It's tough. And Griff has hitched his wagon to, to Zion being the savior of the franchise. And he's not going to come off of that. Like, that that's the part. When, every, when anyone says, oh, you got to trade Zion, and I, I tell you over and over again, as long as David Griffin is in charge of basketball operations for the New Orleans Pelicans, that's not happening. It's just not. He has attached himself to the hip with Zion on making the Pelicans a successful playoff-winning championship title contender. Griff is not going to bail on that. He's just not. He's not going to do it. And I don't blame him because we've seen in this league that it pretty much takes, I won't say a generational talent, but it takes a truly elite talent plus another borderline elite talent plus really, really good role players to win in this league right now. That's what the league is. And in a perfect universe, in, in a perfect universe, you have the elite talent in Zion, the close to elite talent or elite talent in Brandon Ingram, and the really good role players in Trey Murphy and Herb Jones and Jonas and some of those other guys. So I understand how he sees it. And my point again is if you if you cut bait with Zion, if you just get rid of it, you still have to find that borderline elite talent to replace him. And I don't think you have that. And those aren't very easy to find. That's that's why teams, certain teams have been looking for it forever. Like you don't just find Nikola Jokic overnight. That just Sacramento missed the playoffs for like two decades. Right. That's and, and they, that's the and danger. They were constantly always in the lottery. So it takes right, they don't grow on trees. They don't grow on trees. Let's get to the foodie poll question of the day. It's our 
poll question of the day on Wednesday, our foodie poll question of the week. Easter is this Sunday. Good Friday, obviously, is Friday. What's your favorite Easter candy, excluding the chocolate bunny? Because I would say the chocolate bunny is always part of the Easter basket. Someone decided to rewrite the poll question and say that's just too basic. That person was not I. <laughs> the chocolate bunny's too basic. Oh, the, the chocolate bunny's not bougie enough. That's basically what the original question said. I just made it fun. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. So what's your favorite Easter candy, excluding the chocolate bunny? Is it Peeps? Is it the Cadbury cream egg? You could also say Cadbury caramel egg, which is probably better. Is it jelly beans? Doesn't matter what flavor they are or what brand they are. Just jelly beans. Some of you are very um, passionate about the Starburst jelly beans. I would be okay with that. Or other. And that opens up a whole thing like gold brick eggs, you know, uh, heavenly hash, the the little small little uh, uh, chocolate eggs made by 800 different companies. So... You have a a ton of different options here. We want to hear from you. Let's get to some early comments. Oh, the Reese's egg. Yeah, that's that's very good. Brody, that was Brett that said the Reese's egg. Brody says Reese's peanut butter cup eggs just hit different. No Twitter, I'm not interested in this ad that you've inserted into this. B-Rad says Cadbury cream egg and Reese's peanut butter eggs, easily the two best Easter candies. Ton shared a gif of holding up peeps and then just a little lower, a little lower, a little lower, tiny bit more. All right, in the trash. You know about the uh, the pecan eggs? Yes. Those are good. Those are good. Ton also says Robin's eggs or Reese's eggs. There's a time and place for peeps. The time is never, and the place is the trash can. Cadbury cream eggs are okay, but the chocolate cream eggs are amazing. Yeah, they are. Jelly beans are just, eh, something about the texture is a turnoff to me. John Paul, Cajun Daddy says, oh, the best has been left off. It is Elmer's Heavenly Hash, the perfect mix of marshmallow, chocolate, and toasted almond goodness. JPK says, other, they will start lining up tomorrow for my Easter Sunday smoked ham. It's got a bourbon, brown sugar, 7-Up pineapple glaze that makes it meat candy, right? I support that tweet. Yeah, I'd be in on that for sure. <laughs> I support that tweet. So keep your votes coming on what's your favorite Easter candy, excluding Chocolate Bunny. Other is an option. We'd love to hear from you, right? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share it throughout the remainder of today's RP3 and Company. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on the show, oh, we're going to talk a little college baseball. Raging Cajuns, we're at home. They blew a significant lead and then won, a, won it in walk-off weird fashion. We'll talk LSU, and we'll talk Raging Cajun McNeese softball as well. Busy night on the diamond for our college teams. We'll get to that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
No, no, they're not. They're not. Uh, this is not a trend we want to. We want to continue getting beat up with fastballs, taking fastballs for strikes, uh, and not commanding fastballs. That's you know, it's good to win a game, uh, especially from the bottom of the barrel like that. That's about as low as you can get. Uh, but we can't make a habit of blowing five, six run leads. We got to get better. Raging Cajun skipper Matt Deggs, who was not too pleased. That man, that man was not happy to talk to the media after last night's midweek game against Tulane. Why was that, Dawson? Well, that might have had something to do with the fact that they gave up a six-run lead in the top of the ninth inning. Oh! Um, but he was also really upset about someone or multiple guys taking fastballs. He made a couple of comments about that, um, and... The offense was pretty good, I thought. Like they they swung the bats pretty well, but I guess there was a couple things that he really didn't like in the offense as well as the pitching staff. So, uh, just sounded frustrated. Sounded like um, you know, the it certainly sounded like a coach after a game in which they blew a six run lead and lost. Sometimes you know when you win a game like that, you get the relieved coach. Like, whoa, man, we we really we really didn't deserve to win that one, but we got the win, so I'm happy. But no, it it wasn't that. Which you know. I think kind of speaks to the uh, the character of this team. They weren't they weren't pleased uh, with the way they played. So, um, yeah, it was a wild game, kind of back and forth. Um, not really back and forth until the ninth inning, but that's when it was back and forth. The Cajuns were were kind of dominant. They gave up a run in the first inning. Um, they ended up they they went with a bullpen approach here, kind of Johnny Hole staffed it, mm-hmm. and they were pretty good in the on the mound. You know, they they had. They walked too many guys, certainly, but they were able to get out of danger a couple times. And in the offense, you had Ben Robichaux hit his first career homer. C.J. Willis hit his first home run in almost two years, which I couldn't believe when they said it yet last night, that he, he didn't have a home run all last season, even though he had a pretty good year. Um, and so you got a big boost from him, a couple of timely home runs there. It was a two-run shot and a three-run shot. So um, I thought the offense was, was okay. Tulane also went with the whole staff approach. And uh, everything was smooth sailing until the ninth inning, and things just kind of got away from them. They had um, a two-run homer early in the inning, which you kind of said, okay, that's fine. Um, Moody just kind of lost some some of his control after that, gave up a couple of hits, a couple of walks, then a big two-run single, and they went to Ben Tate to the bullpen, and then the first battery face hit a three-run homer to tie the game. It just kind of came out of nowhere. It didn't feel like, you know anything was really going to happen until that point, and all of a sudden, it's tied. Now, they get out of the inning, so credit to them. They come back. Heath Hood comes up and hits a double off the wall. He's still hitting almost 400 on the season. He's moved over on a beautiful sacrifice bunt to third, and then he scores a game when he run on a wild pitch. So, I mean, incredible focus and composure to fight your way back. Wildly avoid, entertaining game at the end, but Tulane is on the struggle bus, and the fact that you kind of yeah had some struggles against them is definitely – the frustration that you hear for Matt Deggs and they'll go on the road now quickly for the holiday conference three-game series on the road LSU they played a midweek game as well they took on Nichols they did pitching by committee right they used six different pitchers it was you know everyone gets to pitch an inning and a half or two innings including Christian Little the Vanderbilt transfer and they just, you know, mollywopped poor Nichols in seven innings. Gavin Dugas, three for three with three ribbies on the night. Tommy White had five RBIs, two home runs, but he likes hitting those. 
Jared Jones had a home run. Dylan Cruz saw his hitting streak come to an end. He was 0 for 2 in last night's game. But it didn't really matter. LSU cruised to a 12-2 victory over Nichols. Now they're going to go play another top 10 SEC matchup. Went on the road to play at A&M, took two or three. Came back home, played Arkansas, was ranked in the top 10, took two or three. Played Tennessee, took two or three. Well, now South Carolina is ranked in the top 10. They have to go down to Columbia and have a three-game set. And after that, Kentucky, later in the month, they're ranked possibly. They're a top 10 team, a fringe top 10 team as well. So LSU is going to be tested over and over and over again in the SEC which is a great thing for them, especially to get them prepared for what's going to be happening later on. But the Tigers pick up the easy victory over Nichols in the midweek. No late-inning shenanigans there. They take care of their business, and they get the job done. Raging Cajun softball team, briefly, they sweep the season series with McNeese Cowgirls. They do so in Lake Charles, and it was not necessarily an easy win, but they've been able to win their three matchups fairly easily. Yeah, how good is Carly Heath as well? Two homers last night. She missed uh, the last game of the James Madison series with injury, but comes back, gets reinserted in the lineup, and continues to just be their most valuable player, really, by far. 7-0 7-0 win. Cajuns improved to 27-10 and on the year. You heard about Carly Heath. She stepped up in a big way. Sam Landry um, did nice work as well. And they sweep the season series, win all three games against McNeese. And McNeese is a quality program, so that bodes well for Jerry Glasgow's team to be able to go on the road and get a quality midweek win before coming home this coming weekend for the holiday weekend for a three-game set as well. So, busy night on the diamond. Cajun baseball, not quite there yet about being concerned, but the App State Series and now struggling against a bad Tulane team, maybe this is just their midseason lull, which happens. It happens to all teams. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number one. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was little veinment. There was little foot, little bubba. There was LD, which stood for little dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The foodie poll question of the week is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. 
And because of the Easter holiday, well, ours is about Easter candy. What's your favorite Easter candy excluding the chocolate bunny? Right now, 59% of you say other. 22% say Cadbury cream eggs. 19% say jelly beans. No votes yet for peeps. That's how it should stay. Everyone hates on the peeps, yet kids love having them in their Easter basket. Just saying. Just saying. Kyle asks, where's Reese's? It's other, bud, and you just brought it up. Ralph says, good morning, my peeps. I'm so hoppy you asked. It's an excellent question. They're harder to find than a unicorn, but the Elmer's gold brick malted eggs are straight fire. Hope everyone has a happy and blessed Easter. Is that is is the malted egg separate from the regular gold brick egg, or is that a yes. malted? Yes. That is separate? Okay. They're more like your robin eggs, but they're made from uh, gold brick. Um, the Notorious Dub shared a gif of Willy Wonka that tastes like snozberries. Someone also messaged me and said this. You may laugh, but until you try these, you will be surprised. Dr. Pepper flavored peeps. <laughs> He's shaking his head. He's shaking his head. I don't eat peeps. But I make sure to get a pack of pink peeps for the Easter basket for the kid. Are, ha, are, are, have we confirmed that they're edible is my question. <laughs> because it's confirmed? a substance that you usually do not consume. It's just marshmallow. No, but it's, it's, it's gross. <laughs> it's like a sponge. <laughs> Who hurt you with peeps? Let's dive into that in the next hour. Who hurt Dawson with peeps? No, and it's it, no. it's a scar. We've opened up a wound here on RP3 and Company for our boy. Just not good. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. Oh man, hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. Man, we'll take your phone calls to start off hour number two if you'd like. Game hotline is open three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. You're listening to the game right here. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The New Orleans Pelicans get smacked around by the Sacramento Kings inside the Smoothie King Center last night. Three games left in the regular season for the Pellies. Can they get the job done? I think they're going to be in the playing tournament. I think that's going to be a done deal. I would agree. Whether or not they're going to be in the 7-8 spot, I think it's going to come down to the final game of the season. Or even 9 Let's let's not be too wishful here. I'm too optimistic, according to the. <laughs> <laughs> I it, look, it's going to be a dogfight for them. It just is, and maybe they catch a break tonight against Memphis, and maybe the Grizzlies say, you know what, we're still good. 
but they're still trying to lock up the two seed and hold off Sacramento. So I'd expect Memphis to play, but maybe you could catch a break. Maybe you catch a break Friday when Tom Thibodeau is like, you know what? We've already clinched the playoff spot. We're fine. We're good. We don't need to play our guys. We, we, we'll go against what I typically do. But it feels like everything is building for that road game to wrap up the regular season this coming weekend at Minnesota. And that's going to determine who's going to be either seven or eight or who's going to be nine. That's what it feels like. Yeah, the Grizzlies played last night. Ja played 35 minutes. Jaron Jackson played 33 minutes. Oof. Um, so they're on a back-to-back just like the, the, the Pels are. You know who Memphis has right now playing is Kenny Lofton Jr., if you remember him from Louisiana Tech. He just, he's been tearing up the G League this year. I've been kind of following that a little bit, and he's actually playing off the bench for them right now. He played four minutes last night. A guy who the Cajuns played against. I'm bringing you all the angles here. Uh, I, was not, I was not anticipating former Louisiana Tech star turned G League phenom uh, data. I was not anticipating that, but that's what makes you the producer extraordinaire, my friend. Just an extra nugget to have. Watch. No, and the way the Pelicans go, he's probably going to hit a turnaround fadeaway jumper to win the game tonight out of nowhere. But you know. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, you know, look, we talked about the Pelicans yesterday with Ali Cassell, and he said he really – I said, what do you need this team to do? Forget about where they're going to be placed at in the play-in tournament. What do you want to see from this team heading into the postseason? whether it's the play-in tournament or maybe you sneak in. And he, what did he say? He wanted to see this team go 3-1. and one. Well, you lost last night. Got to at least go 2-2. Two and two, And uh, you only got three games. So... Yeah. Yeah. And now, um, remember, so Brandon Clark is out for the season for Memphis. Steven Adams is out right now as well. And Dylan Brooks' is day-to-day didn't play last night. We'll see on, on tonight. So they do have their fair share of injury problems. Correct. Because I was looking at, that's some of the reason you've got guys like Kenny Lofton Jr. on that roster now. So um, that is something to at least keep in mind. They're not a team that's fully healthy. But Dylan Brooks, whether or not he plays, that could be pretty important as he is a guy who likes to get things riled up. Um, that's a nice way of saying that he antagonizes people. Yes, that's that's what you wanted to say. <laughs> And gets underneath people's skin. So we'll see what happens with the Pels if they can bounce back and get a win tonight against Memphis. On the diamond last night, LSU cruises to a win over Nichols. Dylan Cruz's hitting streak comes to an end, but uh, Tommy goes out there, gets a couple of home runs. Jones gets a home run. Gavin Dugas gets three hits. They go, you know, six pitchers, gets them all some reps there as they easily take down Nichols. The Raging Cajuns looked like they were easily taking down a bad two-lane team until things kind of came off the rails there in the ninth inning unexpectedly, out of nowhere, as the bullpen just... And yet they find a way to win in the bottom of the ninth and win it in walk-off fashion. The way they played against App State, the way they played against Tulane, I'm not ready to say, okay, there's some things here that are concerning. They're just things to kind of keep an eye on. You know, the baseball season, even college baseball season, is a long season, and you're going to have some lulls during the season. 
you're going to have weekends where you go, what happened? Right? This happens. I mean, to a lesser extent, we've seen LSU just crushing opponents and then inexplicably have a game where, you know, like they did this last weekend against Tennessee where you go, what? What? So it happens. The main thing that you don't want to see is it start to snowball. If, if we have another weekend of them not playing to their potential, being sloppy. Yeah, and they should win this series. They should. Uh, look, Marshall's okay. Marshall's 4-5 and five in conference play. They're not a great team. Their only conference series wins ULM, who's at the bottom of the league. So um, they're 13-12 overall. typically is in most sports. There you go. <laughs> it's almost like I feel bad beating up on ULM at some point. It's like, you know. You shouldn't feel bad. That's true. Yeah. They're an in-state rival, and they strongly dislike the Cajuns. Yeah. So you you, you shouldn't feel shouldn't feel bad. No, I just look. There's lulls to this. The 40 wins is still, you know, he mentioned that in the press conference it's earlier. Lofty. That's lofty. The way they started off the season, I thought that was achievable, even more so. But as the seasons progressed, you know, what's actually kind of concerning to me is the way the RPI numbers are looking like and I you know it's not the greatest metric but Warren Nolan has a predicted RPI metric where it predicts out every game the rest of the way and it actually predicts the Cajuns to finish with 40 wins right now it's a weird metric it it really favors teams that are at the top of their conference right now it thinks they're going to win more games than they're going to but anyway even at winning 40 games now you can take a look at which games it has them projected to win and things like that and that matters but it has them finishing at 64th in the RPI, even with 40 wins. Ooh. So, like, my concern is with the RPI the way it is. They're 87 right now. Some of those non-conference series, like High Point, really hurt them. Um, some of the midweek games, those don't we have as about, much of an impact. We talked about that before the start of the season, that the schedule. Yeah. And, and he even admitted at media day that, you know, they didn't go out. They wanted more home games. Right. Because they felt how much better the conference was going to be because obviously you're adding Southern Miss. Well, it, it is. It is, but I you're right. The RPI took a bit of a hit because they, they played high point. And not only did they play high point, they played three games against high point. Yeah, and so the biggest thing, it's baseball scheduling's weird too with those things, but I think your weekend series, you just have to try to find a way to not play teams that are closer to the 300 range because they just drag it down so much. But anyway, regardless... You're going to have to win some of the bigger games to help the RPI. The game against LSU is really big, which they don't look necessarily very beatable in the midweek right now, but some of those games are going to matter more than you maybe thought they would to try to get your RPI up to a point where if you don't win that, again, the, the goal for me with them is always to get to the conference tournament and not have to win it. But the way they're looking right now, that's going to be pretty difficult to do, even though there's some teams, Coastal's RPI is up in the top 15, Old Dominion's way up there in the 40s, but... It's going to be difficult, but by the way, I looked back at the dates. I wanted to make sure I was correct on it before I announced it. Zion's last update was exactly two weeks ago today, and that's the one that said two weeks he would be reevaluated. So we're due any oh, any second now. There it, it is. It could be right now. Who knows? Let's check Twitter again. Maybe it oh, happened. Oh yes, let's go. Maybe he maybe he's going to be. But the other thing that's concerning is he hasn't even necessarily been fooled for five on five, like you mentioned, scrimmaging and stuff. So that's even if he gets cleared today to do that stuff, it doesn't feel like he's going to play on you know He'll certainly play for Friday the or even Sunday. He'll play for the playoffs. I don't even know if he's going to if he doesn't get cleared to do five on five work until you know today or later this week. 
I don't even know if he'd play in the playing game. It'd, it'd be close. And so, obviously, if you get to a seven-game series, you probably feel good. But, like, do, do we feel good about the Pelicans winning a playing game without him right now? I, I don't. No. But anyway, that's we've done <laughs> enough talking about that. <laughs> uh, staying on the diamond, the Astros lost to the Detroit Tigers yet again. Now, Detroit, as we know, is in rebuilding mode. Detroit is also managed by the former World Series winning Astros skipper. But they're in a rebuilding mode, and they got swept by Tampa Bay in the opening weekend. And now they've won back-to-back games. Detroit has against Houston. They took down Framer Valdez last night. Torkelson gets a home run, gets three hits to lead the Tigers to a 6-3 win. Astros are now 2-4. and four. And Once again, no Lance McCullers Jr., no Michael Brantley, and definitely no Jose Altuve. And this is what I'm going to say about the Astros. This is what they do. Like, this is what they do. They start off slow every single year. 2019, they started off the season 2-5. and five. And what did they do? They went to the World Series that year. 2020, they started off 7-10. and 10. What did they do, Dawson? They went to the ALCS. 2021, they started off 7-10 and 10 and were swept by the Detroit Tigers. What did they do in 2021? They made it all the way to the Fall Classic. Played for the World Series again. And last year... The Shros were 6-8 and eight to start the season and lost a game to the Seattle Mariners 1-11. Can we just breathe and relax about the Strohs? This is five years. This is what they do. They always start, even when they're fully healthy, you know what they do? They come out the gate sluggish and slow. They drop games to teams that are not very good. They do it every single year. And they still end up making it to at least the ALCS, if not the World Series. Well, I had the pleasure of sharing a press box with Kevin Foote last night, and he suggested that an extraterrestrial life form might be necessary for the Astros to be able to get Matt Veerling out. He said he doesn't think a mere mortal can do it and that they need to call on help from some other form of life. That was Kevin Foote's assessment of the game last night. How's that hammock season go for a hammock hammock season going for our boy? He's just sitting there. And the funny thing is that, you know, he doesn't watch the games on when he's when he's covering it. He's just got the game tracker on. So he's sitting there going like asking how that play could have taken place without watching it <laughs> double asking? off the because there was a double it said double to the shortstop so then i pulled it up and i said oh well, kevin what happened is they hit a double off the wall and it bounced off the wall so hard that jeremy pena fielded it off the wall and threw it in and he's like double off the wall to the shortstop how is that possible and, and <laughs> he's just and he does it in the middle of the press box while he's supposed yeah to no he's the sitting game. there and cajuns he'll hit a double in the gap and he's sitting there going Oh, we can't get Matt Veerling out. I don't know what, what we're going to do about this cat. Cat, cat, we can't get this cat. This, this cat's the second coming of Ted Williams. Well, I don't understand. 
hammock season. He's sitting there like the Astros haven't played a good game against the Tigers since 97. I'm telling you. <laughs> the man's a treasure. The man's a treasure. You just, just like breathe, Astro fan, breathe. This is what they do. They start off slow. If it's July, heck, if it's June and the Strohs are still uh, under 500, then I think you have a cause to be concerned. But I think six straight ALCS appearances, four World Series appearances, and two World Series titles in that stretch, I think maybe, maybe just hear me out, should build up enough goodwill for you to not panic about the team. Just yeah, no, in, in all seriousness, Framber looked good last night, which he was a little shaky in his first start. He looked better. He looks like he's going to be fine. I think he's your ace of the staff. Um, the bullpen's the bullpen's always been my concern, but I think they'll have time to address that if they need to later on. And um, the lineup, look, and last night they had a bunch of hits. They just didn't convert them into runs. I think they're going to be fine, and I think you'll see them take out a little frustration. I'm, I'm calling a big win on getaway day, 1 o'clock. Game time, I'm thinking they're going to get a, uh, a comfortable win over the Tigers today. You heard it here first. Oh, you heard it here first. You'll be able to listen to that game, by the way, right here on the game later this afternoon. Poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week on Wednesdays. What's your favorite Easter candy, excluding the big chocolate bunny, of course? Right now, 52% of you say other. 26% say Cadbury cream egg. 22% say jelly beans. Jelly beans rising. No votes yet for Peeps. Salty Steve says, Peeps are making Zion Peeps. They're very expensive and leave a bad taste in your mouth. (laughs) He also wants to bring up poor D'Lo. His parents put stale Peeps in his basket and he has never recovered. That's something we need to address. Your hatred for the Peeps. It feels like you were hurt by someone that gave you peeps, or you had a terrible experience with the peeps. So you, we got some time, but we can I, dive I into this simply, if you like. I simply don't enjoy them. There's That's the beginning of the story, and that's the end of the story. Mm. And the thought that's, that they could be the top of somebody's list just kind of caught me off guard. Didn't think that was even really on the uh, possibility of... They're one of the most popular Easter candies out there. Yeah, and I almost think that's just... For like, they make them and they sell them. Somebody's buying them. That's true. I, yeah. No one's voting on the poll question is buying them, or they're not admitting to that they're buying. Is Peeps the dirty little Easter candy secret? I don't. I don't know. Ooh. I don't really care all that much. I'm just not a fan. Would you try the Dr Pepper flavored Peeps? I'll try it, but I'm not going to like it. I promise you that. I may have to go find some, and then have you and I try it. Maybe Miguel because he loves Dr Pepper. And then, you know, foot would be down to try anything. If there was a candy that, because Kevin's not a big chocolate guy, what if there was a chocolate bunny that was filled with corn? That would be something I think Kevin would eat. If it was street corn, he'd really be in for that. If if you've heard him talk about street corn. (laughs) Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day, which is always our foodie poll question of the week on Wednesdays. It's all about Easter candy. We'd love to hear from you. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company, though, coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. The Masters. They will tee off tomorrow for the first round. Now, the bad weather, the storm system that's supposed to be coming through our area for the holiday weekend supposed to be like 80 to 90 percent chance of storms on Friday and Saturday well that storm system is actually going to move its way throughout the Gulf all the way through the southeast so the masters are going to be dealing with some weather issues for the tournament this weekend as well that being said Lots of anticipation because you got the Live Tour guys involved. They're allowed to play in the Masters, right? So that's going to make things interesting. Tiger and Phil are going to be in there, even though I don't think either one of them really has a legitimate chance. And I think it's probably going to be a struggle for them to make the cut. A, because Phil has been playing terrible, even on the Live Tour. And the problem for Tiger is the wear and tear on his body for all the walking with his knees and his legs and his back. It's not like you can take a cart on, you know, at Augusta for the Masters. You just can't. That's what's going to always kind of keep Tiger, and he's going to have to push through immense pain to be able to do anything. So, Rory, can he finally win the Masters? I know people always love to put that, you know, put the money line on him. He's one of the best golfers in the world, always top three. What about our guy, Scotty Scheffler? Can he put on the green jacket again? What are the odds as it stands right now heading into the Masters for the first major of the season? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, the odds for Scotty Scheffler are pretty good. Five to one, Scotty comes in as the favorite. He's your he's your defending champ. And Yeah, and he has, you know, obviously not only won that tournament, but then turned that into a great season and has played consistently some of the best golf in the world. Uh, he's your favorite. Rory's actually the second favorite at 15-2. to two. Now, I love when they start throwing those two. You now have 15-2. to two. you got to do some math. So, you know, if you're keeping track at home, that puts you at about 7.5-1 to one if you want to compare it to the 5-1 to one that Scheffler's at. John Rahm's at 9-1, to one, and then you kind of get a bit of a drop-off down to Jordan Spieth at 15-1, to one, Cam Smith and Colin Morikawa, as well as Max Homa and Patrick Cantley are all 20 to 1. Then you get down to some of the just intriguing names that aren't necessarily the favorites. Uh, Dustin Johnson's 28 to 1. Of course, we get the live guys back in this tournament like we were talking about. That's really interesting for me. It's kind of like the band's back together for these tournaments and then they go their separate ways afterwards. Uh, Brooks Kepka's 35 to 1, a Florida State Seminole right there. We'll see. He's been playing well on the live tour of late, so people have been kind of buzzing about him a little bit. And Tiger comes in at 65 to 1. So uh, the odds makers are kind of like you in that they don't have a lot of faith. The interesting thing that 
I was a little surprised to see. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, 85-1. to 1. So, uh, you know, remember how high his, his ascent was, and now he has kind of fallen from grace as also being one of those live guys. And, yeah. um, you know, you've got a couple more interesting ones um, at the bottom. Patrick Reed, 75-1, to 1, another guy who has left the tour. And then you get all the way down... Uh, and you you keep going. Phil Mickelson is at two hundred to one, so you can get some good uh, some good <laughs> odds there if you're feeling good about Lefty just turning it on and turning back the clock this week. But I'm with you. I think uh, I think Phil might not make the cut. Tiger, I always reserve, and the odds respect you know reflect that at being sixty five to one. There's always this feeling, as he did a few years back, maybe he kind of turns the magic on at Augusta. And that would be the place that would most likely happen. I don't deny that. I just think, you know, I think that 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 last that Masters that he won, I thought that was kind of the swan song. Yeah, I think and he hangs around. I think he hangs around the cut line and maybe plays well enough on Friday to make the cut. The other thing, again, though, is going to be really tough, and that only makes it more difficult, I would think, for Tiger with the way we're, we're anticipating some rain delays. Him having to maybe get up, and we talk about how difficult it is for him to walk getting Stop up, and start getting down, getting warm back up. It yeah. might be really tough this week for Tiger. Some interesting tee times as well. Pairings, uh, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and Cameron Young are going to be – that is – that is going to be box office there. Uh, Matsuzama, Cameron Smith are paired up together. Uh, that's going to be interesting as well. You mentioned DeChambeau. Brooks Kepka is paired up with Gary Woodland and Danny Willett. So it's going to be really, really interesting. Our uh, Sam Burns is going to be in the same pairing with Roy McIlroy. So the former LSU star. So Masters begins tomorrow there at Augusta. Pretty amazing stuff. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Jamie has been patiently waiting, wants to talk about our poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. It's all about Easter candy. What you got, brother? Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Third. Before I touch on the candy, I just wanted to, to say one thing about the Masters. With this weather that's going to be pushing through, it's going to create tailwinds that would make me look like a pro, headwinds that would make the pros look like me, and crosswinds that would make us all look like clowns. I, I don't expect low scores at Augusta because of the weather conditions. I just don't. No. And, no, and, and it feels not. like and the, and because the rain, of the weather. The is going to affect the roll, too, if and, you think about it. Yeah, and it's going to affect the roll. But also, this could also open itself up to having someone we're not talking about sneak up and win the Masters. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's going to be somebody that we're not even talking about or even thinking about. Like, heck, maybe I can go up there and make the cut. I don't know. Not really. I suck as well. Um, <laughs> for the uh, for your foodie poll question of the week, let me just say people might be buying peeps, but that doesn't mean they're eating them. Um, my wife has a huge sweet tooth, and she won't touch those things with a ten foot pole. In fact, I found an unopened pack. I think that I gave her like when we were still dating, and we've been married for like almost ten years. So, yeah, people are buying them, but not necessarily eating them. Somebody's uh, eating them. Somebody's eating Not a single vote for peeps, but I'm telling you, somebody's <laughs> eating them. I, I, might have to, I might have to get on Twitter and vote for peeps just to vote for peeps. But uh, my go-to is definitely, uh, like, the Reese's, uh, the, the peanut butter eggs or, or the peanut butter cups. Uh, they're just 
fantastic. And I think it might have been one of the guys on Twitter saying the chocolate cream Cadbury. Oh, 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 so good. So good. Thank you for the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, and happy Easter to you and yours, my friend. Appreciate it, guys. Y'all too. That's right. As of right now, what's your favorite Easter candy? 50% say other. 29% say Cadbury cream egg. You could go with the Cadbury caramel egg, which is so good. So is the chocolate one. 21% say jelly beans. You could go whatever flavor. But no votes for the peeps. No votes for the peeps. Ralph has shared uh, something with me. Seven ways to get rid of those disgusting marshmallow peeps. I will have to read this article, and we'll discuss it later on today's show. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, the mad dog, Ron Higgins, columnist for Tiger Details, will join us. We'll talk LSU women winning the national title, LSU baseball rolling right along as the number one ranked team in the country, and maybe even get some spring football talk in. That's all next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU national champions for the first time ever in men's or women's basketball. The LSU baseball team in year number two under Jay Johnson. Well, they're the number one ranked team in the country. And lots of buzz about the football team entering year two of the Brian Kelly era. (laughs) Seems a bit of a golden era going on right now across the basin in Baton Rouge. And to discuss it all with us is our good friend, the Mad Dog, Mr. Hollywood Higgins himself, Ron Higgins, joins us now. Ron, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Raymond. How are you doing, man? I am doing tremendous. Before we dive in to our talk about LSU, we have a poll question of the day, and it's about Easter candy. Excluding the chocolate bunny, What's your favorite Easter candy? And we have Cadbury cream eggs. We have jelly beans. We have other. That way, if you want to say gold brick egg or, you know, heavenly hash or Reese's peanut butter egg, you can. But we also have Peeps on there. And Peeps finally got a vote. It is struggling in the poll question. And people say they hate Peeps, yet Americans consume more than a billion of those bad boys a year. What do you make of that, Ron? Well, you're not going to like me very much, but I don't like any Easter candy. Whoa! Hot take from the Mad Dog right off the bat. Man says he hates Easter candy. Honestly, I don't like the only candy I eat at all are sweet tarts. That's it. That could be why you're so healthy and you have a lifestyle that includes rotating cruise ships and film sets i've never had a cavity ever what never had a cavity still have my bosom teeth every time i go to the dentist he goes looks great okay thanks you are <laughs> uh, a medical marvel my friend oh I'm, there's other look there's other body parts about to fall off okay <laughs> 
like, 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 like my, my, my casket and they go, God, he has such great teeth. How'd he die? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right, uh, bud. Uh, Kim Mulkey did it in year number two. The master of the transfer portal. I say she's the best coach in America with being able to navigate this new terrain of the NCAA transfer portal, either men or women's basketball. I think she's the best. She proved it this year. And year number two. Year number two. There's car warranties that take longer to expire than it did for Kim Mulkey to turn LSU into a national champion, bud. Yeah, you know, uh, Things went right for them in the tournament. It helped. They, they, they got in a good bracket. It always helps. They had good matchups. As soon as South Carolina lost to Iowa, I knew LSU was going to win the game. I mean, I knew they beat Iowa. I thought LSU was just simply more athletic. Uh, and like we always said, man, if they, if they could ever make a shot, <laughs> well, the basketball gods said, you know what, LSU, you're going to make every shot today. We're going to let you open the game up hitting a three-pointer. And then we're going to let you bank in a three-pointer into the first half. And then just to kind of give them a, uh, you're going to bank in a three-pointer at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, we all, I mean, you and I have talked about this a bunch. I mean, especially at the beginning of this tournament, how other people are going to have to step up for this team to win the national championship. Uh, you know, Angel Reese basically carried this team through the first two tur- uh, the games of the tournament. Then everybody else starts stepping in. LaDasia Williams had two of her top, two of her top three scoring games of the year in the last three games. Uh, Jasmine Carlson, who was 23 of 26 from three point, uh, I'm sorry, she was three of 26 from three point line going into that game, goes off. Uh, and then there's, uh, you know, Alexis, who. Who was just so clutch against was, Utah, against Miami, and then. And she was right. ma- magnificent in the fourth quarter on Sunday. I, I voted for her for MVP of the tournament. Uh, I thought she was MVP. I did too. Yeah. I thought she should have won it. And, and it's not she, a it's not a knock on Angel because, as no. you said, Angel was great the first two games, but Alexis was absolutely clutch for this team in three of the last four games they played. Yeah, and, and when you the final four, you vote for the. I mean, what happened in the final four? What happened in the final four was she. She averaged 24 points and 5.5 assists. In the, in the last two games, I mean, the final four, she scored 45% of their points in the fourth quarter. Uh, closed them out. You know, didn't miss a shot against Iowa in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But the fact is they won. Uh, they got it done in year two. Uh, it's always tough to repeat. Uh, and... Kim Mulkey's biggest challenge this next year is getting this team to focus. Uh, and it's, a, it's probably a challenge she's never faced before. Uh, getting a, a team to focus that has been just, uh, you know, has so many NIL deals, so much social media, uh, so much, you know, social media yapping, you know, just talking and, uh, getting them to focus on the task at hand uh, will be her biggest challenge. And it's probably, I mean, she's never had to face us anywhere else, like at, at Baylor or anywhere else, because uh, really the social media, even t- when she went to Baylor, I think it was last time was 2019, I think, or it was, it was, I can't remember what year it was. It's not, it's not what it is now. And so uh, 
in the NIL too. So it'll it'll be a challenge to get her team folks to play. And, and Ron, the the team. I mean, you look in the box score. You had from Sunday's title game. Well, you had two freshmen. They'll they'll more than likely be back. Poa's a JUCO transfer, and she'll be back. And you'll have Angel back, but the rest are gone. Right? The the rest are all uh, were uh, transfer portal kids. So. Kim, she get Angel Reese back, which is a great, you know, hey, an All-American. You get to build around her. But what's the biggest the biggest need? Obviously, she's going to have to hit the transfer portal. She has the number one rated recruiting class coming in. But I would say finding her a veteran point guard to come in and hit the ground running because she really doesn't want to have to build with a younger point guard, especially with having Angel Reese back, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe the freshman coming in. I mean, I mean, freshman or freshman, we saw that with Flage. Uh, uh, yeah, but they just need experience. They need some instant experience. Like they got this year, but she found instant experience this year. I think it'll be even easier to to, to find instant experience now. <laughs> it'll be a lot easier. Uh, she'll probably have to turn people away, honestly. Uh, I, I think part of the attraction of LSU is. Uh, for better or for worse, you can be who you want to be on this team. I mean, you put your like she says, she likes big personalities and and uh she knows how to manage people. the big personalities. Not every coach can do that, and uh-huh. Kim can. And the thing is that that stands out to me about her, Ron, is Kim has a big personality herself. So yeah, she and, understands and, how to deal with these kids, and they respect her so much that they do what she wants, and but yet she still lets them be who they are. Not every veteran coach, she's 60 years old. She's had to adjust on the fly here, and it's been masterful what she's been able to do. Yeah, I mean, if these, some of these kids have looked at her background, Kim was a big personality when she was a player. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> she, she, drove, she drove a Corvette, and she, her nickname was a Ham and Honey. Okay? So, uh, uh she has a big personality. She played a big personalities, and, and so, yeah. I mean, and that, that's why I think that uh, she's handled all this, you know, post Final Four fallout over the over the you know the Angel Reese stuff, uh, like it's you know, like it should be. It's, it's it's part of the game now, and even in women's basketball, okay, it's part of the game. It's how it's game. The, the the girls are playing like guys now, as, as, and that's not derogatory. I'm just saying, you get all that. You get the smack talk. You get all that, and you get the competitiveness and the fire, and you get the ratings <laughs> that goes along with that too. By the way, <laughs> a record, yeah. right? A, a record weekend. We're talking with Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog, the award-winning columnist for Tiger Details. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I want to shift gears here. We could make a joke about uh, if this women's team could beat the men's team, and I think they could. Um, well, 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 we won't pick on Matt McMahon too much because he, he's he's got his work cut out for him. Let's go to baseball because Kim Mulkey wins a national title in year two at LSU. Jay Johnson has the LSU baseball team, the number one ranked team in the country, and they continue winning series in SEC play against top 10 ranked opponents. They'll get another one this weekend when they have to go down to take on a surprisingly very good South Carolina team that's ranked in the top 10. What's the thing that has stood out to you as we are now in April with Jay Johnson's team in year two? That as good as they are, they're still trying to piece stuff together with their pitching staff. Uh, Hitting has just been no problem. It's going to be no problem. Uh, They come at you in waves. 
I mean, they're one through nine. Everybody can, everybody can bust out their bat in this lineup. That's, 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 it's, it's sometimes you just sit back and watch this stuff. You go, wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they got so many guys who can hit and hit the ball a long way. And, and most of their hits, I got to go back and I want to go back and, and do the percentage of hits that are extra base hits. But almost every game like last night, I think they had nine hits last night and seven for extra bases, you know, three home runs. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's almost it's like normal for them now to do that. Uh, but to get this far and, and play this well and, and still, uh, still kind of be searching for a, a pitcher, a game three starter, uh, Sometimes their relief has been a little bit shaky, but you know you're nitpicking. But at this point, that's the thing that's impressive to me is that, that, that uh, Jay Johnson is he's happy and he likes the mentality of this team. The way they approach games, the way they approach uh, the bad bats, but he's still always looking for uh, – perfection and options and he always has options this team has plenty of options but i think with pitching right now there's you know they want to get greedy they're glad to win series uh but i'm sure they'd like to sweep one too but this this again every week is a challenge south carolina is number six in the nation they, they play in a small ballpark uh they have more home runs than anybody in college baseball like over 70. Uh, but every week's a challenge. But uh, when you have the best pitcher in baseball and the best player in baseball, college baseball, it sure gives gives you a head start. And you know what's not a challenge, Ron? We have to wrap it up. What's not a challenge is having great conversation with you, my friend. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, man. <laughs> hey, hey. And I know you said you don't eat Easter candy. Just to let you know, courtesy of one of our listeners, Ralph, Tell Mad Dog they make Sweet Tarts Easter candy. So I'm just passing along that information to you, bud. It, it has to be the hard kind, not the soft kind. Okay, I'm not. I'm not I like the soft sweet tarts. All I right, like the, the, the bite <laughs> and and the, the face, like mm. yeah. See, <laughs> well, enjoy the Masters, buddy. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Acting lessons. Happy Easter. See you. P3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Don't! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Foodie poll question of the week is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. This one's all about Easter. What is your favorite Easter candy, excluding the chocolate bunny, of course? Right now, 52% of you say other. 25% say the Cadbury cream egg. You could also go caramel egg or chocolate egg. 21% say jelly beans. And 2% of the vote says peeps. Keep those votes coming on our special Easter candy edition 
of our foodie poll question of the week here on RP3 and Company. Keep leaving your thoughts, your comments, your gifts, your memes on the Facebook and the Twitters. We'd love to hear from you. How do you feel about someone finally voting peeps? Are you insulted by that? Because you came out strong against the peeps. You hate the peeps. Yeah, but I got... You've declared war on the peeps. It's funny, though, because I got the support I was looking for. The viewers and the listeners responded accordingly. They showed you how terrible it is. And now, I'm not even worried because it was so late in the process, you know it's just a troll vote. So you're not even really concerned with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a billion of them sold every year. To who? I don't know, but they just... Look, they, obviously, they make them. They're profitable. Yeah, it's okay. I'm and, and you know what? I'll try. A, I'm gonna try one again this year, just because the thing is that it's one of those things that I hated as a kid, and then years went by, and then I was like, you know, let me give that I'm a shot it. again. I'm on it. I will go buy us some peeps and maybe find some different flavored. Yeah, peeps, yes. And maybe we'll do we'll it something, something for social media. How about okay, that? Let's do it. Oh, boom! I love when a plan comes together on a Wednesday. Hour number two in the books, but don't be sad. We still have another hour up. Jay Walker. The longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will join us next, right here on the game. Are you working way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three has arrived, which means the final hour of today's show has arrived on this hump day edition of RP3 and Company. Coming up, half an hour from right now, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us. We'll look ahead, maybe do a little bit of a mock draft for the Saints as they gear up for the NFL draft. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. It's always our foodie poll question of the week. With Easter, well, just a few days away, we went with Easter candy. You know, what's your favorite Easter candy that's not the chocolate bunny? Is it Peeps? Is it jelly beans? Is it the Cadbury cream egg or is it other? Feel free to leave your comments and your thoughts, of course, on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We are broadcasting live from inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. And right now it's time for us to bring on our next guest. He's the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Our friend Jay Walker joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, brother. Happy Easter to you and yours, my friend. How are you? Happy Easter to all of you. I'm doing fine, and my answer is none of the above. If it's not a chocolate bunny, I don't want it. Oh, see, classic chocolate bunny. I can respect that. I can respect that, my friend. All right, so let's start off with this Louisiana Raging Cajuns baseball team. Uh huh. They they lose the series to App State, but they are able to salvage a win over the weekend. And then last night, they looked like they were cruising to a victory against Tulane, and then things kind of got sideways on them with the bullpen there late. They were able to pull out a win in dramatic fashion. Uh, what have you seen in the last few games from Bat Deggs' team? Well, you know, they – it looks like they're – Larry Blakeney at Troy, the longtime coach, uh, football coach over there, 
when things weren't going right, he used to use the term, I, I think we're just off of fuzz. And I think this team's off of fuzz. Um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, if you look at the three games against App State, you know, they could have uh, won all three of them. Uh, you can probably say they should have won at least two of them. And then, you know, for eight innings, it looked like they were okay last night. And then in the ninth inning, they didn't look okay. This team's just off of fuzz. And and I will I've, – I've been saying this – um, for about a week now, and I'll die on that hill. I think this team really misses Kyle DeBarge uh, this, this, more than you thought they would, because if you look at it from uh, a personnel standpoint, well, okay, you move Taylor to short, you put Peyton Lejeune in at third, and you still got a good lineup. And while that is true, it's the intangibles on the field that they miss from DeBarge. They miss their juice box, and he's the juice box. And I, I don't think that they've quite recovered from the fact that, well, he may be there physically cheering him out. It's not the same. And I, I just think until they get used to him not being there or until he comes back, I, I think they're going to be off of us. That makes sense, and it's also a long season, right? And – any team, no matter how talented or veteran they are, there's always going to be a lull, right? There's going to be a weekend where you go, eh, right? That happens, and it happens to every team at every level. That's just how that works. My question to you is, you know, I feel last night was a blip on the radar with the bullpen because it's been so steady, and it was just one of those weird things where you had two guys that are extremely reliable, and have been very good, just had an off night. Uh, no need to panic there about the back end, right? Oh, no, I agree with that. Uh, you know, look, uh, there was one story that was kind of cool. You know, you bring Ben Tate in, uh, Turling's guy, and he faces a guy from St. Thomas More, and the guy from St. Thomas More hits a three-run bomb to tie the game. That was kind of the story within the story, and while it didn't go in the Cajuns' favor, it was interesting that you had – Two guys from Lafayette, from opposing schools, who wound up facing each other late in the game. I thought that was an, an interesting factoid. Uh, but no, I, I don't think there's any reason to panic with the bullpen. Uh, it uh, falls under the heading of stuff happens, I think. They gear up now for a trip cross-country for the holiday weekend uh, against a team that's just okay. They're not great by any stretch of the imagination, but... Anytime you have to go cross-country, it's always a challenge. It doesn't matter what sport it is. It could be football, basketball, baseball, or softball. Uh, yes. What do we know of Marshall? Well, we know that they're a whole lot better than I anticipated they were going to be. You know, Marshall, I think, was picked next to last. Um, and, and one of the polls had them dead last as far as the preseason was concerned. Uh, and they're better than that. I think that, you know, they're, they're good enough to beat you if you don't play well. I think that, you know, playing at, at home is going to be an advantage for them. Uh, they've got a guy who's going to go in game one who's already been the pitcher of the week uh, in the Sun Belt Conference uh, by view of the fact that he was able to go out and, and hold an old Dominion team that's as good offensively as any team in the league, held them to two runs. So I think they've got some capabilities. Um, 
I don't think they're a great team by any stretch of the imagination. You know, you say they're just okay, and I'll go with that. Um, but they are a better team than we expected them to be. They uh, they made a very late coaching change. Uh, the guy that has come in has done a nice job with them, and at least they're respectable, and I'm not sure that we expected them to be even that. I would agree with that. I think that's fair. I, I, I do, and I think that's fair. You know, listening to, to Deggs <laughs> last night after the game, you could tell he was, he, he, was, he was fired up, right? He was not happy. And w- what I found interesting, Jay, is that he could have easily just focused in on his pitchers giving up what they gave up. But he made it a point, even though his answers were short, and even though you could tell he was visibly upset, he made it a point to you know talk about his hitters taking too many fastballs. So you know even when it would have been the easy thing to do was to talk about the bullpen melting down a little bit there inexplicably. He also made sure to point out that his team took way too many fastballs and just watched them fly by them. Um, just that's the type of coach he is, isn't it? Right? It's it's never he's never going to throw anybody under the bus. It's always going to be accountability. And he's always going to find a way to make sure that it's everyone. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The, um, you know, they kind of reverted last night back to who they were at the beginning of the season. Mm. Um, you know, your pitching staff went out and gave up 11, 11 or 12 freebies. And then your hitters uh, punched out double-digit times. And that's, you know, we kind of saw that at the beginning of the year. And, and they cleaned that up and um, – you know, really the last four games, it's not, you know, the pitchers have been okay except for last night. But but the team has gone back to striking out too much. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with taking fastballs. So, yeah. Uh, no, and I and I laughed because, man, that was about the shortest postgame interview that, that I've ever been around because he did not want to be there. And, um, you know, and, and Brad was trying to find something positive and, and that didn't want to hear any of it. No, no, he did not. He did not want any of that, my friend. We're in April now, and we're about halfway through the conference slate. We got about twenty-seven games to go, or so, still in the season. Uh, what do you think a realistic goal is for this team the rest of the way when it comes to wins, Jay? Well, the goal's forty. Um, forty might be a stretch. But, but look, I mean, there's no reason why this team can't duplicate in the second half what they did in the first half. Now, and, and if I'm right about that, they'd be 38 and 18. Um, I don't see any reason why they can't get to between 35 and 40 wins. Um, you know, provided DeBarge comes back healthy, provided they don't lose another key component, and provided, and, and this is, I think more important than people realize, provided Dylan Toit comes back. Because Toit is a weapon in the bullpen from the left side. He's their most reliable guy from the left side. He can go out and dominate from the left side. And Deggs has been talking about his absence for a few weeks now. I agree with him. I think it's important they get Toit back. I don't think there's a guarantee they're going to. uh, But I think it's important that they do. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's switch over to the other team that plays on the diamond, Jerry Glasgow's squad. They get a 
win last night against a good McNeese team, a top 40 ranked McNeese team, and they sweep the season series, taking all three games. What do you make of what you're seeing from Jerry Glasgow's team um, as they head into the back half of their conference schedule? No, I don't remember, Ray, if I said it to you or if I said it to Matt in the afternoon. I thought that I thought it was important that Glasgow and his coaching staff made a decision on who's going to play based on up-the-middle defense. Uh, And he did that in the three games over the weekend at James Madison. I didn't see the lineup last night, so I can't comment on that. Um, and, and my, you know, and, and that means playing Sissy Vasquez at shortstop. Now she's sitting about 160, but who cares? You know, the way that the, the way the softball, uh, rules work, you know, it, you go through the lineup the first time. If there's, if there's no threat, you let her hit. And then the next time you need a base hit. So you pinch hit for her and then you can re-enter her. Correct. And then she's not done until you pinch hit for the, for the second time. And she did get a couple of hits in one of the games at JMU. So I, I like, um, you know, I think you can catch either Piscos or Valdez. I think you, can, you, you would want to catch Piscos a little bit more, uh, but you can catch them both. But you've got uh, Davis in center field, you've got Langlayers at second, and you've got Vasquez. That's your best defensive up-the-middle lineup. And, you know, Jerry's a hitting guy, and he's been going ahead and, you know, saying, I've got to get these hitters in the lineup. And that's fine, but I think now it's time to make a few decisions. He said so himself uh, after they lost to, uh, to App State that one game. And so I think we're going to get more consistent with the lineup now, but I think it's especially important, and I'm going to continue to say it, that he put his best up-the-middle defense out there each and every game. Jay, appreciate your time as always, brother. Happy Easter to you and yours. Be safe on your travels to go call the Marshall Series, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Happy Easter to all of you, and uh, thanks, Coach, for the day off. (laughs) This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Three games left for the New Orleans Pelicans tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies, Friday night inside the Smoothie King Center versus the New York Knicks, and then they'll have to wrap up the holiday weekend on the road at Minnesota. After Sacramento last night came in and pushed and shoved around the Pelicans, getting the road victory, the Pels find themselves in an interesting spot. Once again, they're making the play-in tournament. There's no doubt about that. You look at the other teams, they're getting in. For the Pels, though, it looks like they're going to have to battle to be either 
the seven or the eight seed. And how that breaks down is that those two teams face off. The winner automatically moves on to become the seven seed in the actual NBA playoffs. So if the Pels can hang on and be either the seven or the eight seed, they will play the other team, and the winner of that game will automatically move on to be the seven seed to actually play a seven-game series against the number two seed. The loser will then play the winner of the 9-10 matchup, and then if they win that, then they move on to be the eight seed for the Western Conference playoffs. That's how it works. Now, we're all in agreement here that the play-in tournament is dumb. It's watered down, a great product. The NBA playoffs are magnificent. I don't know why we have the play-in tournament. Well, I know why we have the play-in tournament, because it happened during COVID, because everyone freaked out about people watching basketball. And they've kept it. It waters down the product. It's not great. You're talking about mediocre teams here. But there's still plenty to play for. And the problem for the Pels is that everyone else still has something to play for as well. Because Sacramento won last night, they keep pace with the Grizzlies. Only two games out of the number two seed with only a few games to go. So Memphis, even though they'll be playing a back-to-back, they know essentially a win tonight locks it up for them that they'll have the two seed. So they're going to have something to play for. We know the Knicks under Tom Thibodeau will have something to play for. They've already clinched a playoff spot. Right now, they're the five seed. They're not going to catch Cleveland. So they're pretty much locked in at the five. So on one hand, you're like, well, what do the Knicks have to play for? They're not going to fall down to the sixth spot because they have a three-game cushion on the Nets. They're not going to catch the Cavs because they're two and a half games back. Three and a half games back, rather. So the Knicks are stuck, right? They're going to be the five seed in the East no matter what. But Tom Thibodeau does not rest his players. Tom Thibodeau always has his guys playing, sometimes to a detriment to he and his team. And then it all comes down to the regular season finale. Because right now, when you look at the standings, the The loser of tonight's Clippers-Lakers game will then be out of the top six conversation, I believe. Whoever wins tonight's game will be the sixth seed. Then whoever loses tonight is going to be battling the Pelicans and the Timberwolves for the 7-8-9 spot. Oklahoma City's got the 10, it looks like, even though they're fading because the Mavericks and the Jazz are just atrocious. So that game against Minnesota is going to mean something because that could very well determine if the Pelicans are the 8 or the 9. And you'll want to avoid being the 9 because you have to play an extra game. Yeah, you have to avoid the 9. But the other thing, that's why last night was important because the Pelicans could have helped themselves in multiple ways. Not only could they have won a game that pushed them up the standings, but they could have presented a situation to Memphis where Memphis had less to play for if they would have beaten the Kings and dropped them down. So you lost in both ways. Now... Vegas has the Pels as a five-point favorite tonight. I'm a little surprised by that, um, but maybe that reflects the lack of urgency that Memphis has, knowing that, yeah, this game maybe matters, but it's still... Um, and I'd have to check if Memphis has the tiebreaker on Sacramento. That could also uh, change some of this. Because Correct. If, if they know they have the tiebreaker, then that is going to you know, give them a little bit less urgency as well. But I think maybe those injuries are also impacting that. But either way, 
Uh, I believe the Pels were favored last night as well, and that didn't matter. So they're going to have to play well. They were favored last night, and they lost to Sac- Sacramento, who just came in and kind of bullied them a little bit. Yeah, and, and the uh, the next thing now is can the Pels win if Brandon Ingram isn't fantastic? That's that's one thing we haven't. He's been so you know consistently great the last couple of weeks. What does it look like when he doesn't play well? And I think last night, look, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't you know bi that we've seen. So. That's... They need the way this team is constructed because they don't have Zion. They need Brandon Ingram to play like an all-star. And that's how he's played the last couple of weeks where they've put together this that winning streak where they've been able to win like 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 11. Because Brandon Ingram has put the team on his back and he's carried them. He has to play at an all-star level. He has to play magnificent for this team to win. If he's average... If he just has a ho-hum night, they lose. That's what it boils down to. So in this three-game stretch, he's going to have to play great. And look, there's nothing saying, Dawson, that they can't win all three of these games. They could easily win all three of these games. It would not surprise us if the Pels won all three of these games. It also wouldn't surprise us if they lost all three because that's just where they're at right now. Like the rest of the Western Conference. The Lakers have gotten healthy. The Lakers are improving. The Clippers are fading. But the Lakers are improving. So, look, you look at these matchups. Memphis has won eight out of their last ten. They got jaw back and everything got right. Now, they're dealing with some injuries as well. So maybe they rest some guys tonight. Maybe it doesn't matter that they only have a two-game cushion on Sacramento. Plus, the Pels always played the Grizzlies really well. I am making my best effort to determine these tiebreakers, but of course, Sacramento-Memphis are tied for the season series, so the first tiebreaker is out of the window. But uh, I do believe it then goes based on division winners, which Sacramento would be a part of Denver's division. Grizzlies are 13. uh, uh, You're talking not not division record. Right. Well, so if one of the teams is a division champion and the other isn't, then that kind of overrules um, that and that becomes the second tiebreaker. So I need to find out if, uh, let's see here, we got it pulled up. Sacramento. Oh, Sacramento is also a division winner. So erase that one. The third tiebreaker is division win loss percentage, only if they're in the same division. So we don't worry about that. Conference win loss percentage. Sacramento. Is thirty-two and seventeen in conference play. Memphis is thirty and twenty. So Sacramento has the tiebreaker. So that we didn't get any help there. Sacramento. That means that Memphis has more to play for because they know that if they fall into a tie with Sacramento, that they are likely going to fall below them. So correct. They'll have a little bit more incentive. Again, I don't know how much a team really values being two versus three. It's not quite the same as you know avoiding the playing tournament being six versus seven but they still probably would prefer to be two over three you would to prefer have. to be two because you're going to face a team that's having to play extra games to get into the thing and you're going to you know if you're projecting yourself to get to at least the chalk point where you'd say you're going to be playing the three seed you then have home court advantage in that matchup so so still plenty to play for for the Pels as for the Astros we talked about it earlier and I will bring it back up again they lost to the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers are rebuilding. The Tigers are trying to get back to being a competent, average ball club. And they've taken the first two games in this series against the Astros. But once again, Houston, no Jose Altuve, no Michael Brantley, no Lance McCullers Jr. Framer Valdez looked good yesterday. 
He still got tagged with the loss, but he still looked good. They're two and four. Just a friendly reminder, Astro fan, because I seemingly have to do this every year. I've been doing this show in this time slot now going on four years. Four-year anniversary is coming up this month. And I'm seemingly having to remind you of this every single year, so I'll do it again. It's a public service announcement, if you will, from your boy RP3, the big, bald, and beautiful one, trying to help you out. 2019, the Astros started off 2-5. and five. They ended up going to the World Series. 2020, they started off 7-10. and 10. They went to the ALCS. 2021, they started off 7-10 and 10 and were swept by the Detroit Tigers, who weren't very good that year either. You know what they did in 2021? They went to the World Series. And last year, Astro fan, your team started off 6-8 and eight and were trucked by the Seattle Mariners, losing a game by 10 runs to start the season. What did they do last year? Oh, wait, they went to the World Series and, and won the whole thing. This is what the Astros do. All those years they had players that were banged up and injured, Bregman or Carlos Correa or someone, and they always find a way. They always start slow. They're always sluggish to begin with. If the team is struggling in the middle of June, then you can be concerned. But starting off 2-4 and four with the injuries that they have, knowing that this team always starts off slow, yet always finds a way to make it to the LCS, I think we just need to pump the brakes. Yeah, one thing you're not going to catch me doing is panicking in a 162-game season at any point. In, Thank you. In April, May, again, June, you can start to think about it, but like it's it's such a long season. It's I, and, just such a long season. Yeah, it really is. Just, just, just pace yourself here, okay? Enjoy the fact that you're the defending World Series champs. Don't forget to vote on our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesday. What's your favorite Easter candy, excluding the traditional chocolate bunny? 54% of you say other with a ton of write-in votes. 24% say the Cadbury cream egg. 20% say jelly beans. 2% say peeps. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on the poll question of the day. We got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us. We'll talk about good fits. We'll look ahead, maybe do a little mock draft live with Andrew for the black and gold. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, it's April 5th, which means it's officially mock draft season. Lots of buzz about the Saints. Lots of buzz about the players that they're bringing in for interviews. Hendon Hooker, his two wide receivers, big offensive linemen are coming in. But just remember that each team is allowed to have 30 players come in for in-person visits. So you always do your due diligence here. They're going to interview as many of these guys as possible. Sometimes it's for future scouting. Other times, it's for, hey, maybe this guy may fall to us. So we'll see what the Saints do. But traditionally, with their first two 
picks in the draft, first two rounds, O-line, D-line, DB, wide receiver. To talk more about the Saints is our good friend joining us now from the Saints Half Hour Podcast, Andrew Juge. Andrew, good morning. Happy Easter to you, my friend. How are you? Happy Easter. I'm I'm doing well. I'm on vacation in South Carolina, so you know, taking in the sun, doing all that, and uh, you know, haven't prepared for my sunburn very well. Oh, this this man, this man goes down. Where, where, where are you at in South Carolina, bud? Where, where, where's the location? The Charleston area. Oh, nice historic. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Historic. Yeah. There it is. All right, bud. Uh, Hendon Hooker. Others are coming in. I, when people saw the news, people are obsessed with Hendon Hooker to the Saints. Um, it's been something they've tried to will into existence for three months now. Uh, but what I tell people is, hey, they're just doing their due diligence. This is what they always do. You interview up to 30 guys, and Hendon Hooker is projected to be uh, you know, at least a second-round pick, so why wouldn't you interview him? Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I think, look, it's important to take all of this with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, for example, I remember the year they drafted um, Brandon Cooks. They they interviewed him uh, during the week of the combine, and then they never took him in for an, an, an official visit after that. And so Brandon Cooks is assumption I remember him talking about and saying, I thought the Saints didn't like me because he, he interviewed with them, and he was like, you know, they never really uh, talked to me again after that. I never came in for an official, official visit. Uh, and then they draft him, and that was a situation where the Saints loved him so much after the combine that they knew that, that he was their guy. Uh, and they didn't want to let tip other teams off that they were interested. So, you know, there is some smoke and mirrors to it. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, with Hooker in particular, I, I don't know that that's a guy you take 29th overall just because of the needs the Saints have. But if he's still there at 40 in the second round, and in a lot of mock drafts he is, uh, then I think that that's a guy that you would consider. So, again, like you said, I think it's due diligence. All right, let's let's do it is mock season, right? Where we go through this process and we all have fun putting together mock drafts. Uh, I always draft with the assumption that uh, you know the Saints are going to do what they traditionally do, and what they traditionally do is they draft certain position groups in the first couple rounds. So let's play this out. Number twenty nine. What do you think the Saints are going to do there, and what player do you think they would take? at number 29? Well, I think it's difficult to project, and you know, obviously for for the reasons that when you pick 29, it's so hard to know what's going to come ahead of you. And, and a lot of times, look, I, I look at a guy like B. John Robinson, who I don't think is going to be there, but I think about the time the Saints drafted Ryan Ramchick, and what I was told was that the Saints do about 100 mock drafts right before the draft, and uh, so they don't really do much leading up to the draft, but really that last week they'll do a ton of them in an effort to prepare themselves at the last minute for kind of all scenarios. And when they did that process the year they drafted Ryan Ramchek, they did 100 mock drafts, and Ramchek fell to them only once in one of those simulations at 32. And, uh, and yet, obviously they took him in that simulation, but they were prepared for that scenario as unlikely as it might be. And then sure enough, on the actual real draft day, he fell to 32. They end up taking him. So at the time... You know, you'll remember they had Armstead at left tackle. They had Zach Streif at right tackle. They didn't really need a tackle, but the value for that pick was so high uh, that you take it. So my point there is just, look, if a guy like a Bijan Robinson were to fall to you and you could take him at 29, I would. Personally, I would. Um, and even though maybe running back is not the highest need, I've been very vocal that I like Isaiah Foskey out of Notre Dame. I think he's a good fit physically. He's been productive in college. Uh, they need an edge pass rusher. 
when you consider the guys that they've lost and the sack production that came along with David Onyemata, Caden Ellis. I know Marcus Davenport didn't have a good year, but over the past few seasons, you know, obviously he's been a guy that's produced sack numbers. So I just feel like they've lost a lot of guys that are able to pressure the quarterback and create disruption. And so whether it's defensive tackle or edge, I think those are the areas where you really focus and let's see what falls to them. What would you do in that spot? I mean, what position, maybe not player, but what position are you addressing there at number 29? I think it's got to be pass rusher. So it can be defensive tackle, and I think in an ideal world you get that. I love the pickups of Saunders and Shepard at defensive tackle to kind of replace Shai Tuttle, replace David Onyemata. So you've got a little bit of depth there now at defensive tackle, but I, I don't know. Those two guys are run stuffers. And, and to me, you still need an explosive guy that can push the pocket. So ideally, you have a defensive tackle there that is there on pass rushing downs primarily and, and can really affect the quarterback. But you look either way, I think you're in a position right now where you're putting a lot of trust at edge on Peyton Turner, Tano Passigno, Carl Granderson, unproven guys where you'd be great to get another edge guy. So to me, it's it's improve your pass rush. That's kind of the global statement. You can do that at defensive tackle. You can do that at edge. Uh, but it just depends on what falls to them again. If they get an edge rusher, which I think that's what they're targeting, the second-round pick frees them up to do so many different things. And I believe wide receiver could be on the board there for them in the second round, even though also offensive line, interior offensive line may be still on the board for them as well. But do you think they could go wide receiver in the second round? I Yeah, I think really once they, they get a pass rusher, I think anything is kind of up for debate on this roster. I mean, I, I don't think they would get a tackle because I think when you just look at the, the guys they have there with Storm Norton getting signed, you already have Landon Young. You already have two starters that penciled in and Penning and Ramchek and you have, you have James Hurst. So, I would say that of all the positions on the roster, really tackle is the only one where I say they probably don't need anybody. Uh, outside of offensive tackle, I think you can go up and down the roster every single position and make a case that, look, if Hendon Hooker is there, maybe you consider quarterback. They need another running back. Receivers in play. Uh, they were looking at Foster Moreau before his diagnosis, and I'm hearing they may still try to sign him and just put him on the inactive list until he can recover from uh, his treatment. So, you know, tight ends of position they might look at. I, I, interior offensive line, obviously, you just mentioned that. I think that's a really big one. Uh, but they need depth at linebacker. They need depth at safety. So, we just kind of went up and down the depth chart, and, and I think there's a lot of positions. So, again, to me, it's about being open, maybe not so much to locking in on a position, but really playing true to your board in terms of who is the best player available. Because at the end of the day, it's about getting good players in your building. What position they play matters less to me, and I think it's more about finding guys that are good enough to get find their way on the field and be productive when they get on the field. And so I, I think there's a lot of places you could look. I think right now for the Saints, uh, starters 1 through 22, I think you guys you got guys penciled in at every position that you feel okay about. Uh, if you could get a defensive tackle that is starting level quality at 29, I think that would that would maybe be a place where you could wedge in a rookie Uh, But otherwise, I think this is about building out your depth. We'll wrap it up with this, Andrew. 
they addressed all their needs in free agency and did a very good job with that. And as you said, you could look at it right now and they say they got all their starters. You'd like another edge rusher, of course, but it's not necessarily a dire need. You'd like one, but it's not necessarily a pressing need, if you will. That said, they could stand pat there at 29 and have their pick there at 40 and be good to go. But we know Mickey loves trading up. The man loves to trade up. Do you anticipate, even though they only have the picks that they have, especially with what they've done in free agency, do you think that Mickey could be aggressive and say, you know what, him and Jeff Ireland say, you know what, we really love this kid. Let's trade up and go get him. I mean, listen, it would be foolish, Raymond, to sit here and pretend that that's not going to happen. Uh, that this is, like you said, this is what they do, and it's who they are. And we have a long track record of the Saints identifying a player that they feel like is the perfect fit. That, and it, look, we can debate whether these picks have been right. Sometimes they've hit, sometimes they've not. I think that's the reality of the draft. Sometimes is you know, sometimes you think you're convinced this this is a guy, and then injuries happen and whatnot, and he doesn't pan out um, or what have you. So. But at the end of the day, yes, I think that's something that we have to realize is a possibility just because the Saints, they like to identify a player that they think is a good fit, and they typically go get their guy. They don't wait for the board to come to them and just satisfy themselves with kind of whoever the best player left is. They like to identify and go get a player. So I would expect that to happen again. But let me be very clear. you know, They did this last year, and they traded up to go get their guy, and it cost them what ended up being a top-ten pick, which which is what they sent to the Philadelphia Eagles. So in my opinion, the 2024 first has to be off-limits. At this point, we can't assume that the Saints are picking in the 20s and that that's the kind of pick that they would be giving away next year because we've just watched them go 7-10 and and give away the 10th overall pick, and I just you can't be in a position to do that again. So... If they need to move up, if they want to move up, I understand this is who they are, but the big caveat that I would place here is that 2024 first-round pick has to be off-limits. I agree with you, and I think what's going to happen, and I will adjust that in my own mock drafts moving forward, is I think they're going to use their second-round pick to move up this year. I think they're going to package 29 and 40 and move up probably five or six spots, maybe get around 20 to pick either a wide receiver or a pass rusher they really, really like. That's what yeah, I think I mean, is going to happen. And look, Jalen Carter, he may be off their board because of some of the off-the-field stuff that's going on with him right now, but like that's a guy that's falling in mock drafts. and We know he's a top-five talent. And, and, and he, he, he was, on some mock drafts, he was going first overall several months ago. So to me, that's a talent where you ask yourself the question, if you're sitting there at 20 and he's still there, and you have an opportunity to package 40 and 29 and move up to go get a guy like that. And maybe that's a bad example because they don't like the off-the-field stuff. But when you get a talent like that and you look at it very clearly and you're like, we could either move up and take this guy, and he might actually give us seven or eight sacks this year, or we can take, we can wait at 29 and take the next best guy at that position who's going to take a year or two to develop and not be that productive, then I think it's something you consider. Yep. Andrew? Appreciate your time. Thank you for making it during your vacation. Enjoy the Easter uh, holiday with your family, my friend. And uh, be safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Happy Easter. Thanks so much, Raymond.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog, columnist from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Our poll question of the day on Wednesday is always our foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite Easter candy, excluding the big old chocolate bunny? 55% of you voted other. Lots of write-in votes for a slew of different Easter candy. 23% of you did say Cadbury cream egg. 20% say jelly beans. And 2% of you voted for peeps. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all of you who commented with your funny takes, your hilarious gifts, and uh, shout out to JPK the OD for out there sharing a picture of his Easter Sunday smoked ham with bourbon, brown sugar, 7-Up pineapple glaze. He he gave us a picture of meat candy, and uh, we appreciate him for that. That may have been the comment yeah, of the day. Maybe so. <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to talk how much about how – big master's week usually is for me and i'm i'm very bummed about the weather situation but i just want to say i'm hopeful that everything goes well because it's one of my favorite sports weeks of the year there you go we'll talk more about the masters obviously tomorrow as they tee off tomorrow over in augusta for the producer extraordinaire dawson eiserlow aka Delo, i'm raymond parts the third better known as rp3 we'll do it all again tomorrow six to nine but until then be safe out there be kind to one another kevin foot and footnotes is up next right here on the game